We'll read the scripture in just a minute. Let's just open our hands up and um, just as our bodies matter. And so let's um, open our bodies and invite the spirit to open the deep places in us up. And spirit, we, um, we welcome you in this place. We invite you to um, awaken us to your presence. We invite you to um, change us. We invite you to speak life into us. Um, you are the God of life. You're the God of delight. You're the God of love. And so um, we confess the ways that we are not full of those things, and we invite you to burn away all of our darkness, our sin, our rebellion, our death. And um, we, um, we welcome your, your work this morning in this place. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 You guys can be seated. My name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Manitou. It's not, yeah, yeah. Um, over the past couple of weeks, uh, last few weeks really, summer, we've been um, talking about exploring what does it look like to live our lives with God. Seems like a good thing to be talking about. Like um, to have God put us back together, to, to, to integrate us, to make us whole. Um, hence the name of the series, Whole Life. Um, we've been talking about, yeah, getting put um, back together, integrated uh, spiritually, an integrated spirituality. We started um, uh, several weeks ago, we started with prayer and scripture. We talked about those. We talked about work, our, our work, our like nine to fives. Or, um, we talked about last week, Evan Riedahl from downtown was here um, sharing with us about like the mission that is embedded within our relationships, um, whether we're single or we're married or anywhere in between. Like um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was here. Uh, I am frequently. <laughs> um, but I, I talked about uh, spiritual practices kind of in general. Um, there are specific spiritual practices, um, disciplines that we can like work into our lives, things that we can do um, that make space and invite God's spirit to make us whole, to, to, to heal us. Because that's the gospel, in case you forgotten. I, I frequently need reminding about it that the good news entrusted to the church is not um, clever self-help techniques. It's not that we do certain things, whether it's scripture, prayer, or view our relationships, or spiritual discipline. It's not that we get a bunch of clever self-help techniques. That is not our becoming whole and alive and integrated is not about us ratcheting up our own willpower or pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. If you live long enough, if you are honest with yourself as you live long enough, you realize that we are incapable. True. We are incapable of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We are incapable of making ourselves fully alive, aren't we? But the good news entrusted to the church, the gospel, in case you need reminding like me, is always and forever not about us, but it's about God. It's about what God is like, about what, who God is and what God does. The heartbeat of the gospel entrusted to the church is that God saves us. Oh, drink that in this morning. God saves us. God loves you. 
God forgives. God has not and will never abandon us. It just isn't done. It's not what God is like. It's not who God is. God meets us in our violence, in our despair, in our suffering, in the confusion and agony and darkness and disaster of the worst that can happen in our lives, in the splintered wood of the cross, God meets us in all of our self-inflicted horror, and God breathes life into us. In case you need reminding, God comes to like, to like trade boots with us. That's what the gospel is. God gives us something new. He takes our broken bootstraps of our lives and he says, you can't lift yourself up. So I'll lift you into something new. He takes our death and he gives us out. He gives us his own life. He takes our brokenness into himself. That's the cross. And then he integrates us with his wholeness. That's the gospel just because you need a shot in the arm of the gospel. <laughs> Every single day, we need reminding of what the God, we never ever save ourselves from hell or damnation or despair or even our bad habits. We don't save ourselves. All we can ever do is trust that God is doing it, that this is what God is like. Trust that this is what God is already up to in your life. He's already at work. All you... But this morning, as we talk through, um, there are things that we can do that open us up further to this reality. It's already true. We're just opening ourselves up a little. There are practical ways that we can get wider and further and deeper into what God is doing. We can invite the Spirit and the wholeness that the Spirit brings into our lives. And so this morning, um, very briefly, I just want to talk about confession. Oh. <laughs> I thought he was going somewhere interesting. <laughs> Lame. No! It's so funny. I typically think, uh, I can feel it when I say, I'm going to talk about confession. Because typically, we think about confession as like something like formal or, or something like really like heavy and monumental. Like it, it's something formal. It's like uh, it's a, some sort of scheduled time where I go to a confessional booth, depending on your tradition, or where um, I meet with an accountability partner, depending on your tradition. Um, or perhaps it's like a, um, a monumental thing. It's like it's formal or it's monumental. It's like this, these extraordinary moments in my life, a few times in my life, when I get it all out there, blah, I just throw my soul up on someone and I finally tell them my deepest, darkest secret. You know what I mean? That's what we typically think of with confession. It's either something, I'm right, right? That's a confession we typically think of with it. Um, it, it it's kind of a downer, <laughs> like the way we typically think about it. It doesn't sound like good news, does it? Does it? Um, as important as the formal moments are, as important as the monumental moments are of confession. I don't want to downgrade those things. Um, those are kind of like exceptional 
things. Those are kind of exceptions. What I want to talk about this morning is like something embedded within the very fabric of our lives. It's like the day-to-day. I want to talk about something that I think is really interesting. I think it's really good news if we learn to embrace it. Um, I don't want to talk about confession as something like exceptional or divorced from um, our actual everyday lives. There is an everydayness to confession that is more vital. It's like elemental. It's like essential to, um, to our lives in a way that like going to confession or having an accountability partner or whatever isn't. Um, not that those things are bad. And so I think uh, I, I want to read the first five verses of Psalm 32. Um, I think is going to help illuminate this for us. Um, Psalm 32, you can turn to it in your Bibles. I love seeing codexes. That's what this technology is called. Uh, I love seeing codexes, but it'll also be up on the screen as well with that technology. Uh, Psalm 32, starting in... Uh, actually, let's read the... Um, The little, there's an ancient transcription above it. Psalm 32 of David, a mascal. It's like a musical term um, because these things were sung. Verse one, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin, Yahweh, the Lord, does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It starts, Ashrei. Ashrei, it's the Hebrew, blessed, happy, fortunate. Count yourself lucky, is what Eugene Peterson, patron saint of New Life Manitou, uh, says. He says, happy is the one who has been forgiven. This is like an ancient song. Mask, it's a mascal. It's a musical term. It's an ancient song in the prayer book of Israel with like roots that go back, way far back to like, King David. We're talking um, early Iron Age, 1000 BC. It describes what it is like to hold in, to hold back, to hide, to cover, to cover up. Verse 5 um, describes what that's like. It makes our selves waste away. Our bones waste away is what it's like. Our stability, bones, our, our structure, our, our very deepest selves, our very substance starts growing old and wearing out. Do you want to grow old and wear out? Do you want to waste away? Then avoid confession is what Psalm 32 says. 
My tendency is to assume that, um, I'm not alone in this, we've all, we've acknowledged this already. My tendency is to assume that um, Psalm 32 is talking with wasting away my very self and structure and substance wasting away. My assumption is to think that Psalm 32 is talking about my deepest, darkest secret, right? That's what we tend to think of when we, I need to get that out. We've all experienced this. Um, whether, and if, if you say you haven't, you're a liar. Uh, sorry. Yeah, we, we're all in this together, guys. Um, we need to get that out because it's killing me until I do. And that's true. That is true. Secrets weigh more than anything else on the planet. They totally do. In my personal experience, carrying a secret always breaks my back and distorts my soul is what it does. But I think there's something else going on here in in Psalm 32 because um, one quick observation, this is is a nugget, write it down, you get ready. Psalm 32 is not Psalm 51. That's why you come to church, isn't it? It's deep. (laughs) Psalm 32 is not Psalm 51. I know it's a brilliant insight, but Psalm 51 is actually a rather famous penitential psalm is what they're called by scholars. Um, It's rooted in the life of David as well. Um, You can throw that up. I think I've got it on a slide here. Um, This is the way Psalm 51 actually begins. Psalm 51, a psalm of David, And it tells us, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This, Psalm 51, is the psalm that gets linked to the formal. Talking to a holy man. This is the psalm that gets linked to the monumental. Like, deepest, darkest secret. The confession of sin. This is the psalm that's like, linked to adultery and murder and bloodshed and the deepest kind of cowardice and us like betraying everything that we know is good and true and beautiful in our lives and not act like this is the Psalm, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is not Psalm 32. Brilliant insight, I know. Um, Psalm 32 that we've read this morning is not linked to anything extraordinary. David is just being transparent about the nature of everyday life. Psalm 32. There's no great sin here. There's no deep, dark secret, you know? It's just the stuff of ordinary life that needs to get confessed. That's what's being talked about in verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. I was exhausted, depleted, like like these summer days that we're in right now where it's just hot and you're just like, I don't want to do anything. I just like sticky. And that is the life without honesty. That is the life without vulnerability. That is the life without confession. The heat and the depletion and the exhaustion and the isolation and the silence It's like living in hell. Some of our first confessions actually are linked to um, the fear of hell, aren't they? 
right? I'm not alone in this. So many people pray to prayer because you're like, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> like, I gotta, like, I, what do I have to do? I remember when I was seven years old, I remember this moment at the end of a church service where the pastor, Dr. Dan Parker was his name. That was a Joe Kirkendall voice I just used right there. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Dr. Dan Parker asked families, uh, it was kind of a unique, special moment, I suppose. He asked families to divide up in the congregation and to like, in and among them, ask each other, like, if you died on the way out of this church, where would you go? Is what was being asked. And I remember feeling, for whatever reason, like it had sunk in. I was very serious about all this. I still am. Um, remember feeling a fear that none can describe. I do not want to burn forever. I do not want to go to hell. What do I have to do not to go there? Confess? Sure, I'll do that. Confess your sin. Confess Jesus is Lord. I'll do it. And I was, to like, I was totally sincere. Like, and I think that's really important. Sincerity is like central to confession. I was totally sincere in this moment. I'm broken. I'm sorry. I'm very afraid. I think I was like, um, I think I, I think I'd told a best I can remember. I'd told a lie. I don't remember about anything, but I'd told some sort of lie that was weighing very, very deeply. I'm, not, I'm sure it was about something very significant. Um, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to live in hell forever. And for that, and for a long time after that, that moment, that confession seemed like the most confession important confession of my life. Confession was like this really significant, important thing, but happened back then. It happened way back. Here I am. This is who I am. This is what I've done. Don't remember what it was about, but it was some sort of lie. I'm sorry. Um, there's a statement from one of the New Testament authors that actually says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank God. Thank God that that's true. Um, for a long moment, I looked back to that moment, to that confession at the age of seven, and I said, thank God I'm not going to live in hell. <laughs> um, that moment back then, that moment became was honesty and vulnerability and confession and tears. And it was the beginning, honestly. It was the beginning of my life of faith. It was like, <gasps> it was like my first breath in the delivery room, you know? It was like, I was born again, to use a, a metaphor that Jesus uses. It was my first breath of new life of eternal life, the life of God himself. Um, but as I grew up, some of you might be able to relate to this, I started really like struggling with, um, for a long time, about what confession did. What did confession do back then when I was seven years old? Um, I'm not sure if it was taught from the pulpit or if it was just caught in the pews. I'm not sure which way it happened. But somehow, somewhere, I got the impression that I was somehow changing God. Is the words that, I, that a lot of us need to hear. I got the impression that I was changing the eternal one. <laughs> God was mad, angry, wrathful at me. 
But now, now that I have confessed, God is kind and benevolent and merciful to me. Now that I have confessed, God really loves me now. And as I've gotten older, I've started catching up to the wisdom of the psalmist here. See, the love of God is already there in the midst of our brokenness before we confess. When I confessed my sin, I did not change the eternal one. I did not persuade God to forgive me. I didn't flip a switch in God. I did not change the way that God felt about me. No, God already always loves me. He already always loves you. God has already forgiven and confession is my way of opening myself up to it, to, to, to receive it is, what we, is the language that we should, my discomfort, my discomfort until I finally confessed, my burning, my heaviness, my isolation, until I finally got vulnerable, the heat, the discomfort, the heaviness, is, verse 4, it is the gentle hand of God on me to open me up to what's already true. That's the wisdom of the psalmist. We could say it this way. Um, we don't persuade God to forgive us. God persuades us to believe, to receive his forgiveness. Is We don't talk God into loving us. We don't change the eternal one. God talks us into opening ourselves up to his love. That's what confession... <gasps> is the first breath of life as this reality starts invading our system, starts hitting our bloodstream. It's the first gulping breath of grace and forgiveness and love. We confess our sin and we inhale Jesus. Um, the wisdom of the spiritual disciplines, you can go ahead and throw that slide up, the, the wisdom of the spiritual disciplines is that confession isn't just how we start breathing. Confession is how we keep breathing. It's how we keep breathing grace, how we keep, continue to open ourselves up to grace and forgiveness and love. Let's try something in the room. It's time for me to venture out and try interaction with you, my dear listeners. Let's tr tr and it won't be any fun if you don't do it. And so you have to do it because if it's lame, it's on you. Like, no joke, it really is. I want everybody in the room, I want everybody to take a deep breath and I want you to hold it. No, 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 when, when I say go, we're all going to start together. I want to hear the collective breath come. Um, but I want everyone to take a deep breath and hold it as long as you can, okay? And I want to talk about what we're experiencing. Okay, so one, two, three. Mm, everyone did it. Now, 
What's happening right now is that you've interrupted the normal exchange that takes place in your body, inside your lungs. Your lungs normally pull carbon dioxide out of your blood and infuse oxygen into your blood. The heavy burning kind of sensation that you're starting to feel, it's carbon dioxide, it's CO2 actually building up in your system. You've got a buildup of death in your system. That painful heaviness is actually the heavy hand of life upon you. It is inviting you to breathe until you do, until you confess your CO2, until you empty yourself of death, you, until you open yourself up to life, to oxygen. You're going to feel like you are wasting away. If you are still holding your breath, I am very... Anyone still holding your breath? Uh, ah, yes, look at you. Anyone else? Yes, you're... Okay, okay, you're... Oh, and Carl, too. Okay, and Carl just exhaled. I saw it. Good. We don't want you to leave us yet, Carl. We don't, truly. Um, tell me. That was an important breath, wasn't it? That was an important breath. Your, your very first breath came a long time ago in a delivery room, presumably. Anyone else? Anyone not born in a delivery room? Like in a car or something? I'm just curious. Okay. <laughs> Morbid curiosity. Well, I've got the floor. Uh, what breath is your most important breath? I think, I think this psalm, you're, none of you are wrong. Um, but I think this psalm, in its ordinariness and its everydayness, reflects the wisdom of the spiritual practice of confession. Honesty and vulnerability and confession aren't just the first breath of God's kingdom. Confession is every breath in God's kingdom. It's not your, just your first breath of eternal life. It is every breath of eternal life. Every confession saves us from the heat and the ache and the isolation and the agony of living alone, of living in denial, in dishonesty, of living without grace. Every confession saves us from the hell of hiding. Every confession fills us with life. And so which confession is your most important confession? Well, we could say it this way. Our most important confession is our next confession. It's your next confession. That's the most important confession that you can have, is to breathe again. The psalm, it illuminates the fact that there are two ways, I think, of living in life, of living through life. You can live in cover-up or you can live in confession. You can live in cover-up or you can live in confession. And cover-up is our default way of living, isn't it? We cover up our sin, we cover up our secrets, we cover up our vulnerability, men. Um, we cover up our darkness, we cover up who we are, how we feel, what we think. We cover up, it feels like a way to protect ourselves, doesn't it? That's why we cover up. We cover up to protect ourselves. It feels like a way to save our lives. I want to save my life, Jesus. The only way that I will get love is if I cover up. A way, it's a way of holding on to whatever little scraps of air we might think we've got. But when we have stopped breathing through confession, 
When we've stopped breathing, we've started dying. Death is building up in our system. But the good news, (laughs) the gospel, is that God loves us. That God has forgiven and God invites you to breathe. He invites you to breathe. Confess your sins. (sighs) Exhale. Breathe in grace. Confess your darkness. Breathe in light. Confession is good news because it's teaching us to breathe. Confession is good news because it's teaching us to breathe. Learn to live in a world where mercy covers over your sin, where grace heals your brokenness and puts you together, where love will never, ever let you go. Learn to breathe. Cover up, it feels like a way of like saving our lives, but it's really only a way of staying in death is really what it is. Um, We could say it this way. When we rely on cover up, we can't receive love. You can't. Because what we are actually experiencing in the love of others, because we're, we're living, when we rely on cover up, we're living a life that believes a lie. It's a life that believes the lie that says you are only loved when you are lovable. You're only loved when you're lovable. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God loves us when we are not lovable and he, his grace is what makes us progressively <laughs> over time, makes us lovable. The lie is that you are not really loved. If they really knew you, it whispers, they wouldn't love you. That's the lie that's whispered to, if they really knew you, they wouldn't love you. If they really knew you, they would leave you. They love your performance, they don't love you, is what the liar, the deceiver, the enemy says to us. We can't receive love because they don't know us. They know our performance. They don't know us. And so, we have to kill the cover-up. That's what we've got to do. We've got to kill the cover-up. It's a painful, necessary, daily thing that we've got to do. And the way we do that is confession. We confess to crucify cover-up. That's what confession does. Confession crucifies cover-up. We could say it this way. Confession is, we could say this, confession is crucifixion. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Confession is crucifixion. But in the vulnerability of that death, we can finally breathe in resurrection. If you want to experience resurrection and you don't feel like you are, maybe you're refusing to die. Because God raises the dead. And God raises, the only people that God can raise are the dead. Really, at its heart, 
the regular practice of confession is about us learning to embrace crucifixion so that we can breathe in resurrection. It is about learning to exhale falseness and inhale truth, about learning to exhale sin so that we can inhale grace. We exhale death so that we can inhale life. Confession is about learning to trust that there is air. God loves us. God loves you and others love you deeper than your performance. There's mercy, there's grace, there's love. If the cross tells us anything, it's that there is more grace and love and mercy in this world than we could ever exhaust. There's more atmosphere than we ever need. Will you trust that there is air? Will you trust that there's air? So really quickly, real brief, what are some practical ways? I feel like this is a very practical sermon. I feel like this is very, very practical. What are some ways that we can practice this? Three came to mind. As, um, they're certainly not exhaustive, but they might get the wheels spinning. Uh, first, there's a stream of the Christian tradition that's practiced carving out time frequently at the end of the day. If you want to practice confession, uh, carve out time at the end of the day to um, look back over the day and think about it briefly. It takes like five minutes <laughs> to like confess your brokenness and your rebellion and to inhale grace and to inhale like what are the ways that maybe I could make this right? It takes a little effort. It's something you do. You carve out five minutes <laughs> to do it. Um, but we can carve out five minutes. We can get still and we can reflect and we can confess. Um, it's a space where we're like welcoming God's spirit to heal us and change us and make us alive. And it's a space where God teaches us about ourselves, about our day. <laughs> about like what um, second second of three uh, confessing our brokenness and our rebellion before God and to God that's really important like I'm not minimizing that that's really important but learning vulnerability and honesty with other people actual people that actually goes really hand in hand with um, with confessing to God. James uh, 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. A, a German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's incredible, um, he put it this way. He said, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark, but in the presence of a brother or sister, the sin has to be brought into the light. Mm, you're not alone anymore when you're with others. We can't, you can't be completely, I've learned this the hard way in my life, you can't be tr completely like transparent and nakedly vulnerable with everybody. Um, it's just not possible in the world as it is. It, we wouldn't really be heard, we wouldn't really be understood, we wouldn't really be seen, and it would be really confusing to everybody that we tried to do it with. Um, but we can do it with some people. We can do it with some people, that's the, the place of the church. <laughs> 
<laughs> find in the church. Bonhoeffer's right. As we find these people and as we learn to believe grace, to receive God's love, <laughs> we experience God's presence, is what he says. And we do it through other people. Um, we could say it this way. We often need to actually speak our confession to actually believe God's grace. We act, that's, grace becomes flesh and blood when our confession becomes flesh and blood. Um, and if there's no one that we're learning, if, if, if in our lives we can't find the people, if we, don't, if we look at our lives and say, I don't have anyone, that I'm being vulnerable, transparent, that I'm confessing who I am with, that knows me, um, we're not breathing very deeply, right? Um, and so who are the people in our lives that we're intentionally like, pursuing to be naked, vulnerable, confessional with that we're learning to experience the flow of God's grace through. Third, this is painfully practical. Oh my goodness, devastatingly practical. The maybe the most stupidly simple thing, the common, the most painful way that we could practice confession is to apologize. Is to apologize. Thank you, I'm glad I got an amen. Apologizing is a spiritual practice. We, we can say it this way, I'm sorry is deeply spiritual. Yeah. It's deeply spiritual. Every one of us this week will have a moment when we need to apologize. <laughs> you will. <laughs> you will. Um, at the end of the, yeah. Um, whenever it comes, whatever that moment comes, it's a painful, beautiful moment because it's a moment that you can stop pretending you're perfect. It's a moment when you can own your sin, is the way the church would say. A moment that you can confess. You can apologize. Apologies, oh, they're terrible. They're wonderful. Apologies, they feel like death, don't they? they and that's because they are. Apologies are like a little death. A little, a tiny confession. It's a tiny micro crucifixion in the midst of your week. It's a death to your pride. It's a death to pretending and performances. It's a death to the delusion that we all live in that we don't need grace. We exhale death and we inhale life. Whether it's in prayer, whether it's in being vulnerable or apologizing, confession is creating a space for us to receive love and grace and to actually be known by others. Not our performance being loved, not our pretending being loved, us in all of our brokenness being loved. Confession is good news, brothers and sisters, because it opens the possibility by God's grace, it opens up the possibility that we may actually end up becoming what we're pretending to be. In confession, you are actually taking steps to becoming what you pretend to be. Grace and love and wholeness, that's the heir of the kingdom. 
may we practice breathing it. Father, may we, um, we who have taken our first breath of grace, remember that the next breath is the most important. May we help us live in confession and not cover up. May we trust that we find true life, we find true relationship when we finally stop performing. Oh, Jesus, Father, Spirit, may we find wholeness by allowing your heavy hand of life to make us alive.